to assume in the room that most of you uh, have wrestled with some pretty deep life questions before. Maybe you've asked the question, uh, why am I suffering? Maybe you've asked the question, if God is good, why do bad things happen to good people? Uh, maybe you've asked the question, what is my purpose? What am I designed for? Why am I on this earth? And all of us know what it feels like to be wrestling with those questions and wonder if anyone ever cares about me. Does God see me? Am I connected to his family? Maybe you've even wrestled with the question, why do I feel so disconnected? Why does my life or my marriage or my best friend, why does that relationship just feel disconnected? Does anyone really know and love me? I know I've asked that question before. Now I'll caveat that with a couple years ago, I got invited to go hunting, which may seem if you know me to be kind of an ironic event for me. Um, and so I said, you know what, I'll do anything once. And so I went out a couple nights in a row, didn't see anything. And this guy was like really doing me a favor by taking me out because he was a legit hunter and I was a, a rookie. And so the, the night is falling and we just start talking. I'm like, Steve, like, why do you like doing this? It's, I'm so cold. I look so ridiculous in full camouflage. It's not even funny. And uh, I, I don't understand what's on the other side of this. He's like, you know what? I just kind of like being disconnected from the world. I was like, okay, I can resonate with that. <laughs> that makes sense to me. If you're a hunter in the room, there's something about it that makes you feel disconnected in a good way. And, and there's a good feeling around the fact that you can be outside and be in nature and your phone's not blowing up and you don't have emails to respond to. And most of the time you're out there for a long duration of time and that feeling of disconnection from technology and devices is actually quite alluring to many of us, if not all of us. Actually, you may remember the movie based on the book called Into the Wild. It's one of my favorite movies, one of my favorite books. It's the story of Chris McCandless who just says, you know, I'm going to disconnect from everything and everybody. And one of the most iconic scenes is him kind of lighting up basically his savings account right in front of him in his college dorm room. So he goes and hitchhikes off to Alaska. And when people would ask him, why are you doing this? He's like, I just want to be disconnected. And what Chris McCandless' story reveals as you dig into the book, it's not as much in the movie, is that there was a lot of relational strain that he really wanted to disconnect from people more than just devices. I mean, this is late, late 60s, okay? This is not the era of the iPhone. He's like, I just want to disconnect from people and the problems that surround society and maybe you remember in English Lit having to read the book Walden. I remember reading Thoreau and I'm like trying to piece through it. I'm like, I don't know why this guy went. But for the majority of the reasons Chris McCandless went was to be disconnected. But here's what I think that, that Chris McCandless and Henry David Thoreau and even maybe some of us as we journey through life misunderstand. I think every one of us wants deep connection with other people meaningful relationships, our marriage to feel like we're connected, our dating relationships to feel like they matter and they have substance to them for our church relationships. So we walk in on a Sunday morning to feel like, man, I'm connected to some other people. I, I'm known by some people. I, I'm not just needed and kind of fill a task, but I'm actually known by other people. We all crave connection. And, and some of us find that in things like social media or approval of other people. Others of us find it uh, in extramarital relationships. Maybe it's the person at work. Maybe your marriage has been ruined by an affair or cheating or something like 
just devastating of that sort. Maybe you sit here today and you're like, kind of the reason I'm at church is because I want to feel connected, which is a great reason. Uh, I'm not knocking the reason. Maybe you've joined a group already or you're going to. And really at the core, it's, it's hitting on the need that we just want to be connected with other people. We want to be known and in community with other people. I'm kind of a science nerd, and this is, again, not a shock to any of you, but uh, I was looking into this and figuring out, does connection matter more than just kind of the abstract, like, meet my needs level? But it actually has physical ramifications. See, when you feel disconnected from somebody, when your marriage is in a painful season, when you hear that someone at work has been talking about you behind your back, when someone says an insult and it's kind of a joke, but you know it's not really a joke, that actually adds physical pain to our body. There's scientific studies that would direct those, those things are connected. They're, they're a part of the same equation. And even to the feeling of that tightness in your neck, the, the tightness in your shoulders, maybe it's stomach ache or nausea or a headache or a migraine, all of those things can result from feeling disconnected from other people. When someone, you feel that connection has been broken, whether it's through a relationship or a hurtful word, it causes physical pain. So then why is connection so important? Surely it's not just so we feel physically better, but on the deepest level, why is connection so important? I want to jump into that, kind of give you some reasoning behind that and look to the scriptures. Because in Luke 15, which again, if you've got a Bible or got something to take notes with, or even a device, we're not going to read all of the verses on the screen, but we are going to journey through this chapter. So I encourage you to have it. But in verse one, here's the scene we read in. As we're journeying through the book of Luke over the next couple weeks, we'll, we'll come back to this. But in verse one, here's what we read. Now the tax collectors and sinners were all gathering around to hear Jesus pause. Tax collectors and sinners, one group of people, bunch of people from the IRS and bunch of people with a broken past. They're all gathered around to hear Jesus. He was teaching, he was healing. This is 15 chapters into Luke's gospel. A lot had taken place. Verse two, but the Pharisees and the teachers of the law muttered, this man welcomes sinners and eats with them. So we have the one group. We have the tax collectors and sinners and then uh, Luke immediately kind of lines it up, parallels it to the idea that there's also Pharisees and teachers of the law, spiritually elite people, the people that looked cleaned up and had everything together, had no chinks in their armor. This is who Luke is talking about. Pharisees and teachers of the law, they muttered. You've, have you been around a person that kind of mutters under their breath? It is so annoying. I hate when people mutter. And, and Lindsay will say this to me sometimes. Now, I, this is not in a negative sense. I'm sure she means it lovingly, but she's like, I can't understand you. You're muttering. And I don't even mean to do it. It's just like I'm not articulating my words enough. This is not just that. This is not articulating the words more clearly. They're, they're muttering. There's a negative tone to what these guys are saying. And they're all looking around at the scene of Jesus sitting around and eating with tax collectors and sinners. And they're appalled. They're repulsed. They're just disgusted. They can't believe that Jesus would associate with people who are broken, who have issues, who have a, a marred sexual past, who are cheating people out of their goods. They're doing all of these different things that in a religious society you just don't do. You don't associate with those people. To be connected to a sinner was to be a sinner. 
And so the idea that Jesus, a perfect man, would identify with sinners, it just didn't line up. It made no human sense. If I had to ask you, as we're journeying through this series called The Table, we're going to get to the table part of the table next weekend. We're kind of setting it up this weekend. But if I had to ask you, if you've been a part of our church for like uh, maybe a couple months or maybe many decades, uh, what are churches all about? Now, I could ask you to kind of define our vision with just using one word. What word would you use? Just throw it out there for real. Outreach. Someone, somebody else. What's one word that defines our vision as a church? I just heard it. It was very meek. I just heard it again. Very, a little bit more excited. Someone say it out loud if you really know. Zero. Yeah. Appreciate that. I'm glad you're here. Um, but it's true. I mean, as you look around, there's signs every single week. There's stories almost every weekend of people who are living out the vision of seeing zero lives unchanged by Jesus Christ. We're not after a magic number. We're not after uh, everything being perfectly polished. We're not after being the, the most famous church in town. We're after zero. We're after zero lives unchanged by Jesus Christ. That is a word that defines our vision. And today I want to talk about one of the most neglected areas of our world, neglected areas of our culture, and a thing that most of us haven't ever fully experienced. It's this idea of community and connection. One of the pillars of that zero vision, and there's five, you see it when you walk in every single weekend, is zero unconnected in community. I realize posing things in negative is a little tricky, so I'm going to make sure I don't mess that up. But zero unconnected in community. We desire to see every person in a life-giving relationship with somebody else. To have meaningful relationships. Maybe you have those at work. Maybe you have those at school. I'm not going to assume those things are true, though. I'm going to assume that there is a deep longing in every single one of us to be known and to be connected to other people. And Luke would emphasize this idea throughout the entire gospel. See, he would, he would often pose stories and, and write about the fact that Jesus would interact with women. Women in first century Israel are essentially property. So it didn't make sense. Why, Jesus, why are you associating with that? It's like it's like a tool. That's a, that's a thing that I just have. And he's like, no, there's actually dignity and value to this. It's a person created in the image of God. It didn't make sense, though, that he would connect with women. Jesus would also connect with children. It's in Luke that we have some of the passages. And as we celebrated child dedication last weekend, we read some of these that Jesus would say, bring the kids to me. Like, I love kids. When I see kids walking down the hall and jumping into center kids and getting signed in, I love that. That matters to me. Kids matter. They weren't just property or someone to help you do the chores around the house. They were a valuable part of God's family. And he also connected with marginalized people. People who had uh, sexual brokenness. People that were mentally ill. People that wrestled with some of the things that many of us have wrestled with. But they were on the fringe of society because to be broken, to have some of those things just not quite right in your life was clearly something you did. You were the problem. And to associate with you would make me have a problem. He identified with those women, the children, the broken, the sinner, the marginalized. And he did in a way that was particularly offensive. This verse we just read, these two verses, is one of the most controversial passages in all of Scripture. And you and I are like, how? <laughs> I mean, he gathered with sinners. I'm a sinner. Jesus loves me. That makes sense. But he eats with them. 
Jesus gathered and ate with them. We've talked about this idea before of table fellowship. The idea that in first century Israel to have a meal with a person was not just kind of a surface level interaction. See, you and I often go out to eat and half the time we're on our phone or not even talking to the people we went with. We're just kind of eating. It just happens and we move on. But table fellowship in first century Israel, Israel was something much more significant. See, if I invited you to eat with me, I'm essentially saying, hey, you're family now. You, you have right to what I have. You can claim my name. You can be part of my inheritance. Like it was that closely connected. You can, you can be on that level with me because table fellowship and eating in first century Israel was kind of gross <laughs> because we're not talking fork and knife. We're not talking health inspectors. We're talking laying around on a floor with a bunch of people reclining and dipping hands in food. It is like my worst nightmare, okay? If you ever invite me over, please do not make it like an authentic Indian meal where we have to just like grab it with our hands. Uh, it just, it wears me out. Uh, and maybe you remember the Super Bowl commercial and it may weird you out too. Let's just check it out real quick. You'll see exactly what I it's gross, okay? <laughs> if I did that at your house, we would not be connected anymore, okay? We would be disconnected in the most real, real of ways. But I remember the first time I saw that commercial, I literally felt like a visceral, like, oh my gosh, I don't ever want to be a part of that. That's what table fellowship was, though. It was interacting with people that intimately. And so for me to let you in on my meal was pretty intimate. It was pretty connected. It, it meant a lot more than just sharing a meal together. There was so much significance to it. And we know this is true. Good hospitality, table fellowship, a good meal that has meaningful conversation with other people, it makes us feel connected. There's something on a human level that we connect with in that. It's kind of like Olive Garden's old slogan. When you're here, you're family. And uh, my, I, my wife comes from an Italian background. I can say, like, th those meals are precious. You don't just have pasta to have pasta, okay? There's some serious implications. Like, a, a meal matters. It's significant. It's why when Jesus would heal and do miracles and then feed thousands of people, it was so offensive to the religiously elite people. They're like, you don't even know these people. You're sharing a meal with thousands of random strangers, kids, women, all, all of, why are you doing that? It makes no sense. It was a terrible religious move and yet Jesus would commonly eat with those people. He would share a meal. He desired to be connected to, uh, to them. And often when we think about this and we think about what, even what we just read, we're like, man, that's because Jesus was compassionate. He loved people. He cared about people. And we often mistakenly separate compassion from connection. We think that we can just be a compassionate person and not really be connected in relationships. I can give to a charity. I can serve a couple times a year. I can kind of check all the boxes. Maybe you've been on a missions trip and there's that feeling of, I'm going to serve these people. I'm going to make their life better. I'm going to build them a hut because they don't know how to build a hut. I'm going to build a school because they have no idea how to build a school. Like we, and they're all well-intentioned things. That's compassion. But when that starts to change from being compassion to actually connection with other people, the ground starts to shift. Things start to change. We often mistakenly separate those things. But friends, people are not desperate for mere compassion. People are not desperate for just 
a charity. I don't ever want to feel like someone's patronizing me. Like, ah, oh, poor you. you. You need some hands. Like, let me help you out. I desire connection. I want to be known. I want relationships that go beyond mere compassion. Charities offer compassion. And even Facebook offers some level of connection. But it's only Jesus that was able to fully live out compassion and connection. He offers both of those things simultaneously. Here's why this is controversial. In verses 1 and 2, you remember, the Pharisees, teachers of the law, muttered. They said, this man welcomes sinners and eats with them. Here's how they would like Jesus to respond. And if you're sitting around the table and you overhear them say this, here's how you think he'd respond. All right, guys, I, I heard you talking back there. Pretend I'm Jesus for a moment. That's probably difficult, but just pretend. How you think you'd respond? You're right, guys. I, I do welcome sinners, and, and sometimes I eat with them. I know I shouldn't. I, I make exceptions, okay? I, I kind of run a background check on them. I make sure that spiritually they're all there. Make sure their past isn't too dirty. And I have conditions to who I love or not. I have conditions, okay, to who I eat with or not. So don't get freaked out. This is more an exception to the rule. That's how the Pharisees and teachers of the law would expect him to respond. Here's how he responds. Verse 3, then Jesus told them this parable. Suppose one of you has a hundred sheep and loses one of them. Doesn't he leave the 99 in the open country and go after the lost sheep until he finds it? And when he finds it, he joyfully puts it on his shoulders and goes home. Then he calls his friends, neighbors together and says, rejoice with, rejoice with me. I found my lost sheep. I tell you that in the same way, there will be more rejoicing in heaven over one sinner who repents than over 99 righteous persons who do not need to repent. He shares parable after parable after parable in this exact same chapter of lost people being radically included, radically connected in God's family. It would have just made them furious. Jesus, why are you doing that? This makes absolutely no sense. Don't you understand what we meant? It was like, don't do that anymore. He's like, I'm going to do that double down. I'm going to go all in on that. I mean, I'm going to tell you three stories of what my kingdom is like, and they all include lost people who really didn't have a lot of interest in coming back home. Every time the shepherd pursues the sheep, the father pursues the son. The, the woman searches all around the house for the lost coin. They were passive. They were spectators in the event. And Jesus is saying, that's what my kingdom is like. You're helpless, broken, lost, confused, and I want to connect with you. I'm willing to even eat with you. You can be a part of my family. It just would have ruined his social reputation and I know a lot of us, when you talk about community, you talk about connection, even within a church, I, I get it. Because some of you are like, yeah, but I was in a small group. And it was pretty lame, okay? <laughs> I didn't really want to go. I showed up. I missed half the time. I wasn't really committed. That's what I, my idea of Christian community is like. And maybe you've been part of a church or maybe even this church. And you're like, yeah, I come in, I'm here, but I don't feel connected. It's a little bit underwhelming. Like, I, no one knows me. I'm just, I just kind of keep showing up. Maybe you've had a, a relationship, maybe a past marriage or a friendship, and like, what you wanted was connection. And you've been hurt. You've been betrayed. Your trust has been broken. 
and your connection level is this high with other people right now. You just don't want to connect with other people. But can I give you one guarantee of Christian community? And here's why, because I've been there. I felt that, I, not at this church, but in former lives in which I, there were small groups and I was like, I do not want to go to that person's house. They have a cat, their food's bad, and I just don't want to go there. It's like 10 minutes before and Lindsay's like, we have to leave right now or else we're going to be late and I don't like to be late. So I was like, okay. And I went begrudgingly. And that's kind of what my idea of Christian community has been like sometimes. Like that's, that's kind of what it is. Like I'm connected to those people, but it's kind of an obligation. It's not really life-giving. But can I give you one guarantee? When you connect with other people in a Christian community, when you... Uh, fully immerse yourself in a church or say, I'm going to be bold and sign up for a group. When you do those things, let me give you one guarantee. Your passion for God will grow. I can't say that you're going to have a lot of good recipes you take home. <laughs> I can't say that the people in your group or in your community group are going to be an awesome best friend for the next decade of your life. I can't promise that, but I can promise that your passion for God will grow. You may feel like you're getting nothing out of it, but if you look back at the weeks you were involved or part of it, or you stepped out and, and took a courageous move to be connected with other people, you can look and see your passion for God just continue to grow. It just happens. It's as formulaic as I could ever make faith. Your passion for God will grow when you are involved in Christian community. I've seen this firsthand. I've seen this in our church. I've seen this in my own life. And, and one of the people we get to baptize today, his name is Josh. And Josh has become a friend. He even let me beat me. I even got to beat him at go-karts this past weekend. So we're really good friends. Um, he might have let me, I'm not sure. But uh, I've gotten to know Josh. And, and Josh really has a, quite an interesting story. And it'd be great for you to connect with him and hear the whole story. But Josh and I talked about the fact that he moved recently to our area from another country. And he came from South Korea, of all places. Like, it's not, we're not talking Canada, okay? It's like actually far away. It's actually far away. And he moved here. And as Josh and I have talked over the last couple of weeks, what I sense him saying more than anything as he takes a step to be baptized is now I feel connected. I'm taking a step because it was in a group. It was in a Christian community where he just went all in, that he saw his passion for God grow. And we're going to celebrate his baptism because of that. I celebrate that. There's so many of you whose story is so similar. It's funny how God works, isn't it? It's almost like a coincidence that it's in community, it's in connection with other people that your passion for God, it just grows. And Jesus is the only one who can, who can form a community, who can have a kingdom like that, with compassion and real connection that we could even desire to see zero people unconnected in community. And so I wanna ask you the question as we close, how is God inviting you to deeper connection today? Maybe that's in a relationship you already have. Maybe it's in a marriage you already have. Maybe it's in a friendship you already have. Maybe it's with your roommate or the person you're dating, but how, is God inviting you to deeper, real connection? Beyond physical, beyond all the things that we often associate with connection, how is God inviting you to have real relationships with other people, to open up your life? As fearful as that may be for some of us, to say, God, I'm willing to let somebody else in. I'm willing to join a group. I'm willing to 
step up and be baptized. I'm willing to, to commit myself to this kind of community. And I want to encourage you, if you are a follower of Jesus in the room, that is not a good suggestion. It's a command from Scripture to be in community with other people. It's in that you see your passion for God start to grow. And I want to encourage you today. I'll give you a pass for Sunday, but for tomorrow, to ask the question, what does it mean to raise the level of connection in my life? Again, that could be by blessing a coworker, doing something radically kind to somebody else, paying for a meal, buying a coffee, saying hi to your boss and having a real smile about it. <laughs> like, I don't know what it is. To bless the people you're at work with or at school with. Maybe for you, it's simply for a meal. And you say, I want to invite you guys in to my house. And it's not the cleanest. It's not the best. But I want to have real connection with you. I want to open up. Hopefully, they don't finger dip because that is still making me feel weird that I even showed that. Hopefully, they don't do that. But to let somebody else in. And if that's weird, invite them out to dinner. Take them to your favorite place. Get nerdy with it. Do something weird. Like show somebody some side of you. How does God want to invite you to raise that level of connection? Because here's what's at stake, if I'm being real honest. Every single one of us in this room could, could be a part of this church in a year, and if we don't ever become connected, it could be gone in another year. Every person in this church, no matter how faithful, how, how good you are, how much you serve, you can be a part of a community and in a year just evaporate. And everyone say, where do those people go? What happened? And they used to be friends with us, or they were in a group with us, or they used to serve. What happens? But if you raise the level of connection, that won't happen. If you allow God to stir you in that way, you'll no longer be independent, disconnected, feeling lonely, feel like you walk in a room full of people and no one really knows you. See, ultimately, that's what killed Chris McCandless. Chris McCandless later on was found by a bunch of Alaskan hikers and hunters. They found his body. They don't even know how long he'd been there. He died of starvation. And one of the most poignant moments in the movie Into the Wild is this scene. Let's he writes, happiness, only real when shared. I would venture to say life in Christ, only real when shared. True satisfaction and fulfillment, only real when shared. So many of us can live life saying, wouldn't it just be nice to be disconnected from everybody else? Just move to Alaska and live in a van. Like, wouldn't that be the ideal? Just maybe for a season. But you and I were built for community. We were built for connection. We were built for relationship, not just with other people, with, with our creator. And every time I watch that, I remind of that as he's writing that down, happiness, only real and shared. And it's moments later that he passes away. And I think about that, and I think about so many of our lives. We just breeze through life. We go from soccer practice to work to, to school to our next commitment to our next meeting. And we just move through life feeling very disconnected. Church, that doesn't have to be our reality. It doesn't have to be your reality. It can be our example to one another that we desire to see zero people unconnected in community. I'd love to pray for you as we close this time and, and move into celebrating together. So, Father, today I do pray. Um, I just know that spiritually it's be tempting for me to disconnect from other people. 
relationally, it's, it can be easy for me to get burned or to get betrayed or to feel like, man, I just thought we were becoming friends and then you move or this happens or I mess it up. But I pray today that for anyone else who feels like that in this room, that you would allow us to raise our level of connection, to not be afraid, to move into places and environments where we are known. Because it's in those environments, it's in that, in that place where our passion for you just grows. We are designed for relationships and community with one another. So God, I pray that no matter where we're at on the spectrum of faith, no matter what questions we have today, that you would allow us to radically connect with one another, to show the world what a community who knows one another and has compassion for one another and who's invested in one another really looks like. So God, I thank you for this time. I thank you for your example, that you didn't just welcome sinners and feel bad for them, but you ate with them. You connected with them. You showed them what real family in the kingdom of God is like. And thank you for the example. We love you and pray it in Jesus' strong and powerful name. Amen. <laughs>